I have the absolute privilege of introducing our guest speaker. Now this person, uh, whenever I first jumped into the Young Adult Ministry, we had the Red Conference, I think it was 2019, was the last one, RIP, so sorry. Thanks COVID, you suck. Um, but uh, I was like, man, you know, there's all these like speakers out there and I don't know who I want to come like feed our sheep. And, and I, I was in, on Instagram and I come across this guy named Manny Arango. And I see him preaching and I'm like, no one ever like that has been on this stage. And I think that our people need him. Um, and I, I, I reached out to him and, and literally, I mean, within minutes, he responded back to me. And we got on a, on a phone call, and really since then we've become super good friends. Uh, he's been someone. Uh, Manny doesn't doesn't like to text or call. He just FaceTimes all the time, no matter what. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, what are you doing? And he's never looking at you because he's always on driving in the car. I'm like, Manny, are you safe? But uh, honestly, he, he's an amazing human being. He's he's genuinely one of the most authentic people that I've ever met in my life. We get a lot of people who who come in and out of here. But he's legit family. He's like the weird uncle in a lot of ways. And, uh, man, I just believe that he has such a powerful and profound word. word, word. Uh, not just such a gifted speaker, but also one of the most uh, intellectually talented people I've ever met in my life. And so I just believe that he has such a powerful word for you guys tonight. So can y'all please give Manny Arango one of the best YA welcomes. Come on. clap for me or stand up for me but come on how many people understand I did not put breath into your lungs this morning I did not wake you up today so for another couple of seconds can we just lift up our hands and say God thank you Holy Spirit thank you we need you we're desperate for you it's no point if we've got lights and great cameras but we don't have your presence so God we need you there are people in this room today who are battling with anxiety and they need your peace. So God, would you be the I am that I am? Would you be peace for somebody over here, but be joy for somebody over here? Somebody in the bouts of depression and they need you to be joy. So God, you're the I am that I am. You can be peace on this side of the sanctuary and joy on this side of the sanctuary. And there's somebody in the room who's struggling with shame and guilt. So, God, we ask that your forgiveness would move through the aisles, that, Lord God, that your freedom would break out in this place. We cannot preach without you. We can't have a service without you. We dedicate this next 45 minutes to you. We don't want anybody to leave here saying that that guest speaker, they spoke a great word. They ministered to me. No, God, we want everyone to leave saying the Holy Spirit spoke to me. God met my needs. I heard from heaven. God, would you answer that prayer? In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen, 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 amen. Come on, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. I'm so glad to be here. Pastor Andrew, I love you. Um, man, I never want to fight you physically, so, uh, but I love you. I, I'm glad that I'm your friend and not your foe. Uh, because I think you could bench press me <laughs> and then fold me in half, okay? So uh, I'm black. 
it's great how just announcing your race can, like, get a cheer. It's great. It's, it's good being black, you know. Uh, I'm black, for anyone who hasn't noticed, okay, I'm black. And so I grew up preaching at black church. Everybody say black church. That was half of you. I said everyone. Everyone say black church. There we go. I grew up preaching at black church, okay. And when you grow up preaching at a black church, whoo, a black church, there's no confusion or ambiguity around whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job. Very clear. Very, very clear. Uh, typically, the church mothers are sitting in this section over here, and a lot of times they're wearing a little doily cap on their head, okay? And uh, the church mamas, you can't have church at a black church without church mamas, okay? Church mamas, okay? And so if you're doing a bad job, everybody say bad job. If you're at a black church and you're doing a bad job, that means your jokes aren't funny. That means you clearly didn't pray enough before you got up on the stage. Uh, that means, like, you're taking text out of context, like, you're just out here preaching heresy, you know what I'm saying? You're just not doing a good job, okay? If you're doing a bad job, one of these church mothers, typically in this section over here, will stand up in the middle of your sermon and say, help him, Holy Ghost, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and at that point, you're not even mad. You're like, yes, Holy Ghost, please help me. Yes, that is a good prayer. Amen, church mom, I agree. Teach me how to sing. Give me a new sermon, teleport me out of here, whatever you got to do. Like, yes, like, yes, help me, Holy Ghost. However, whoo, if you at that same black church and you preach in heaven down, like you doing a good job, okay? Like your jokes is funny. You stepping on people's toes, but they still want more. They're like, yes, confront me, insult me. Yes, I like it. Like this is challenging, but I need it. Like if you're doing a good job, like you're applying the word of God to people's lives in a way that is easily applicable and helpful and practical. And, oh, my God, clearly human spirit did not reveal this to you. But the Holy Ghost gave you some revelation. Like if you're doing a good job preaching that same church mama that would have clowned you a week ago will stand up and look at you like she's on the front row of an NBA game. That same church mother will scrunch up her face and look like something stank. That same church mother will begin to say things like, boy, you better preach. Let's go. Oh, my God. Say it again for the folks in the back. Like that same church mama will begin to just talk you down. My favorite thing that a church mama will say is take your time, preacher. Take your time. So here's the deal. We're all black today. Everyone's black today, okay? I'm black. You're black. We're all black, okay? We're black. And I'm going to make a promise, okay? I'm going to make a promise. I don't know if anybody had a mom like me. Uh, my mom used to say, if you're crying, and I don't think you have a good reason to cry, Remember, anybody like got a mom like that? My mom would say, if you're crying, she didn't think you had a good reason to cry. She would say, you either stop crying or I'm going to give you something to. We had a same mama. <laughs> That's crazy. We had a same mama. Okay. I, I tell people all the time, okay, here we go. If I'm preaching good, woo, and you act and you act bored, then I will give you something to be bored about real quick. We will flip to Leviticus. I'll just start reading random laws to you from the Old Testament, it'll be terrible. You'll hate it. So uh, I'm going to need you to act black. Here we go. If you act black, here's my promise. If you act black, I'll act white, and I'll preach this in 39 minutes <laughs> and eight. Because the church I grew up at, oh, we preach for two hours. Easy, okay? That's black church, okay? But we're going to do this thing real white. We're going to do this in 38 minutes. And 57 seconds. Okay, do we have an agreement? Say amen if we have an agreement. Okay, preach me down. Okay, and here's the deal. We don't just want you to say amen 
or let's go or toes, like if I'm stepping on your toes. We don't want you to say that because of the preacher's ego. That's not the point. The point is that life and death is in the power of your tongue. And I could preach till I'm blue in the face. But if I'm preaching on purity and you know you're struggling with purity right now, that's actually a good place to say amen because the word amen means so let it be. And in faith, you're saying, it's not real in my life right now, but if I just say it, if I can speak this into existence by faith, I'm not going to let what he's talking about discourage me because my life doesn't line up. Actually, I'm going to let what he's talking about challenge me because my life doesn't line up. And I will get there. It may not be next week. It may not be next month. But preacher, amen. I am going to be prosperous. Amen. I am going to have peace. Amen. I am going to have joy. Amen. I am going to walk in the fullness of God. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. So uh, we're going to do this. Y'all are black. I'm white. This is awesome. Okay. <laughs> let's open up the Bible. Okay, let's open up the Bible. Uh, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I was challenged on what I would speak on tonight um, because when someone says, come speak at my young adult event, right, uh, typically you think of young adult topics, right, like dating. Come on. Don't act like we ain't got no drama in this room. Come on. Don't play. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you think about all types of things. Maybe I shouldn't have said dating. Maybe I should have said situationships. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everybody would have been like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we got some of those, right? Uh, you know, you could talk about, I could have talked about adulting. It's a good young adult topic, right? Just adulting. I could have talked about doubt and deconstruction. That's a good young adult topic, right? But I really felt like my assignment tonight was to preach to your faith. Your faith, your faith. See, uh, a lot of us uh, millennials in the room, I think a lot of us that were born in, in church, and by born in church, I mean like your parents were Christians and your parents' parents were Christians. Like some of us who watched our baby boomer parents experience God, see, we kind of have a sour taste in our mouth when we talk about faith. Because for a lot of us, we watched our parents exercise faith for property and faith for homes and faith for cars, but they couldn't stay married. Hello. And this faith that got them things didn't make them better people. And so for a lot of us, we've put our faith on autopilot. Because we're just like, we're not going to be the name it and claim it generation. Like, we're not going to be one person at church and another person at home. Like, we're just not going to do it. So there's a disconnect. When I say faith, sometimes young adults look at me like, faith, ah, here we go. Like, when you think faith, you think like Kenneth Copeland believing God for a plane. You know what I'm saying? Like, and some of us are just like, yeah, I don't vibe with that. But the problem is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We need faith. Why? Because the Bible says this, that we are saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith is the fuel for our entire relationship with God. Faith is everything. And for a lot of us, we're now living a life where we're not believing God for anything. Totally complacent. You take no risks. You never put yourself in an uncomfortable circumstance where you have to exercise your faith. And you are content to just live a life that is content and you're apparently, you're like a Christian Buddhist. You've reached nirvana. No, I don't want anything. I'm fine. But when we real, really boil down to it, you're allowing other things to meet your needs instead of God. Your desires didn't go anywhere. You still have desires. You're just allowing your boyfriend to meet them, not God. And tonight, I want to kind of repoint us and refocus us because we have to talk about, come on, faith. Faith. 
I remember when the doctors told me and my wife that it would be impossible for us to have children. Impossible. They said, medically, it is impossible for the two of you to have children. And I made a decision that day that I was not going to just pretend because that was a trick of the enemy to make me pretend like I don't want kids that bad. Come on. Let's be real. Has anybody ever just like, you've resolved that I don't want it that bad, and you're lying to yourself. You have thrown away your desires because life's disappointments have hit you. I remember the day the doctor said, it's impossible for you and your wife to have children. And I remember going, I remember they asked, they asked this question, like, do you guys want to have a sperm donor? Because I got diagnosed with male factor infertility. And so the child would be biologically related to my wife, but not me. But I didn't want to deprive her of being a mom. And I remember us having to put a stake in the ground and saying, no, we're going to believe God. We're going to believe God to do the miraculous. We're, we're just going to trust God. We're going to take a risk. We're not going to lie to ourselves and tell ourselves we don't really want want to be parents, but we're going to risk our feelings and risk the pain and risk everything. And around this time last year, listen to the whole sentence, about this time last year, we miraculously got pregnant and we went in, listen to the whole sentence, and we went in for our first ultrasound and there was no heartbeat. Baby wasn't alive. And I remember in that moment, God saying, you realize the faith was worth it though, right? Oh, I need to help you because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must what? Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. We memorize scripture at YA, right? Hello. Like Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please God. You know what a lot of us think? That without faith, it is impossible to get a miracle. Or without faith, it is impossible to get a result. Or without faith, it is impossible to experience breakthrough in my life personally. But the Bible says this, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. I remember as I looked at an ultrasound monitor with a heartbeat that had flatlined, with a baby that was not, that was no longer living in my wife's womb, and I had spent $15,000 to do IVF, and I had bought a crib, and I had put it in this child's room, and painted the room blue, and bought onesies in every airport that I'd ever traveled to for this, this one child. I remember the Bible, the Bible ringing true in my ear and God saying your faith wasn't a waste because faith doesn't produce things faith pleases me and as long as the faith pleases God then the faith did what it's designed to do we live in such a results oriented society that we have now believed in church that faith gets things faith doesn't get things faith pleases God and as long as God was pleased I can now say my faith was used see 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 a lot of us were like I used faith I applied for that scholarship it didn't happen it was a waste I'm never gonna try again is that real talk come on I used faith I applied for this I applied for that job I took a risk I did something uncomfortable, it didn't work, and now, eh, I tried. That's called an I tried spirit. I call that Ikea furniture faith. (laughs) Like it's cute, like it looks nice, but like the moment you like box it up and bring it to another apartment, it like disintegrates into a pile of breadcrumbs. 
Because if faith can't get through the valley, then it's not really faith. If faith can't get punched in the face and keep moving, it ain't really faith. Faith isn't meant to, like, look cute for everybody else in church. Faith is to meant to get us through the hardest seasons of life. I tried. It didn't work. But my faith pleased God, so I'm going to try again. I tried. My faith pleased God. It didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but I'm going to keep trying. Why? Because faith pleases God. Faith is not results-oriented. It's relationship-oriented. Everyone's the I bought pleased God. The crib I bought pleased God. The $30,000 I spent over the course of two years just to try to get pregnant, guess what? Please, God. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Without risk, there is no faith. Without moving outside of my comfort zone, there is no faith. And you know what a lot of us want? Uh Uh-oh. We want guarantees. If I follow this formula... Come on, just tell me. Okay, pastor, okay. If I tithe, though, if I use my faith to give God this 10%, will I get a job? What do you mean? We're using Christianity like it's a religion and not like it's a relationship. I can't just say with a formula, like, buy my wife flowers, I'll get laid tonight. That doesn't work that way. I can buy my wife flowers, she may still be in a bad mood. You know why? Because it's a relationship. And a lot of times we just want a formula. Just tell me what to do. Just give me the five steps. And sometimes God is like, how about you just learn how to listen to me? How about you actually develop a relationship with me? And you know what the voice of the Holy Spirit always is going to challenge you to do? Use faith. Use faith. Use faith. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? Use faith. Use faith. Use faith. You believe that they would give their life to God on Easter? They didn't. Guess what? Next Easter's coming, baby. Use more faith. Come on. You believe that you'd be married by this time next year? Okay, guess what? Keep asking people out. (laughs) Keep using faith. Like, why? Because faith pleases God. Okay, let's actually get to Hebrews. Let's actually get to our text. I got ADHD, so, you know, we never know what's going to happen. Uh. But is the Holy Spirit speaking to anybody? Okay, here we go. To not leave us on a cliffhanger, right now my wife is 32 weeks pregnant. Come on. Come on. 32 weeks pregnant with our miracle baby. A miracle baby. God can do the impossible. God loves, God loves to laugh at our math and to laugh at statistics. What's impossible with man It's possible with God. I don't just say that as a spectator or as someone teaching theology. No, I'm a living witness. God can do anything. Anything. But you know what I had to get to before I got there? I had to get to the place where I looked at an ultrasound with no heartbeat and said, God, I still love you. This thing that I want you to do is not an idol in my life. I'm not some spiritual gold digger. Even if you don't, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm still going to love you. See, like Paul, Paul is like, wait, whether I die or live, guess what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, it's great. If I die, it's great. We got to a point with infertility where I was just like, guess what, God? If we never have babies, I'm just going to keep telling everybody we are. 
So if we battle with infertility for the rest of our life, I'll just be the dude who's too stupid to realize that it's never going to happen. Because that's faith. That's stubborn faith. Or if you give me a child, I'll preach about it everywhere. So whether I battle with infertility for the rest of my life, I'll preach about you. Whether you give me a child, I'll preach about you. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, come on. I got 26 minutes left. Here we go. Let's do this. See, I started acting black, and I'm wasting my time. Anyway, all right, here we go. Come on. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews. It says this, by, oh, come on, by, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By, come on, all of you with enthusiasm, by, okay, here we go. The prostitute, uh-oh. The prostitute, the prostitute, the prostitute. The Bible is like, yeah, we putting all your business out in the street. Like, girl, you as a prostitute, okay? The prostitute, the Bible's better than TMZ. Like, whoever thinks the Bible is born, somebody DM'd me and was like, what do you do if the Bible is born? I was like, the same book that says two sisters named Rachel and Leah was fighting over who could have sex with Jacob that night. Like, are you talking about the same Bible where, like, Cain killed his brother Abel? You talking about the Bible where, like, the prostitute Rahab is, like, a major character? If you're talking about that book, I don't know what boring book you're talking about. Because if incest, murder, and adultery is boring to you, then I don't know what you need to do. If you like HBO, you love the Bible, okay? David kills a man named Uriah, has sex with his whole wife named Bathsheba. It's a crazy, okay? You should give it a try. Okay, here we go. <laughs> By faith, the prostitute, Rahab, because she welcomed the, was not killed. Uh-oh, she was on the verge of dying. Was not killed with those who were disobedient. Okay, this, this text, Andrew, gives me, like, some context because I never knew that the walls of Jericho are so large that Rahab's apartment is in this joint. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2 because Joshua's going to tell us this story from the Old Testament perspective. Joshua chapter 2. So she, we now know that the she is who? Rahab. Let them down by a rope through the through the window for the she lived in was part of the city what wall the wall of Jericho when there's a wall homie there's a housing project we call that the projects where I'm from I grew up Poe like that's the that's, that's the projects like so the wall of Jericho is so large so thick that Rahab's home is set in the wall. Now I get to announce my title. I want to preach this to you tonight. That there's a window in the wall. There's a window in the wall. Okay, there's about 18 of you that already got the revelation. For the rest of us, let me say it like this. For every wall of opposition that the enemy has placed in front of you to keep you out of your destiny and out of your promise and out of your future, there's also a window of opportunity that God has placed so that you can get in to everything that the enemy wants to keep you locked out of. For some of you, there's a wall of depression in front of you, but tonight there's a window of joy opening up. Come on. There may be a wall of anxiety, but I declare by the Spirit that there's a window of peace. The question tonight is, do you see a window or do you see a wall? 
Do you see how everything's working against you? Or do you see how everything's working for you? This is why I want to preach to your faith. Because your level of faith will determine whether or not you see a window or a wall. Let me remind you of my title. There's a window in the wall. In the wall of infertility, I saw the window of our legacy. Our son and our daughter. Like, there's just a window in the wall. Let's talk about this girl named Rahab, though. Because she sees her window of opportunity. Come on. She is like, I could die with the rest of these Canaanite fools. Or I could join these people called the Israelites and, like, become one of them. She saw a what? A window of opportunity. Now, now, let's think about this. Imagine Rahab, right? Imagine Rahab having this conversation. Imagine this is just her just talking, you know? She's just out on the walk one day, walking around the walls of Jericho, just doing her thing. And she's just kind of like, man, you know what I'm saying? There's no way. I've heard about this God, this God of the Israelites. There's no way God would ever need somebody like me. You know what I'm saying? The only thing I'm really good at is, like, hiding man's and lying about it. That's really all I'm good at, you know what I'm saying? I'm a prostitute. That's the only experience I really have, you know what I'm saying? But I know how to hide some men <laughs> and lie about it. I can do that. And out of nowhere, she hears a voice from heaven. Go, Rahab, did you just say that you could hide men's and lie about it? And Rahab is like, Lord? You, were, you, were you listening to my thoughts? And the Lord's like, yes. <laughs> Actually, Rahab, your skills are perfect for what I have in mind right now. <laughs> I certainly do need somebody to hide some men's and to lie about it. <laughs> so Rahab, think about this. Think about this. For real. Rahab's claim to fame. Is that she can hide men's and lie about it. That's her whole reason she's in the Bible. Because she hid some men's and lied about it. That's why she is in the Bible. And I need to tell you something. Sometimes the trick of the enemy, the lie of the enemy, is to tell us that nothing we learned in the world can be used in God's kingdom. And God goes, no, 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 no. Everything you learned before you became a Christian, baby, I want to use all of that. What? You was a party promoter before you got saved? Boo-boo, you about to be a young adult service promoter. Okay, like, I don't know what you did out there. But I'm here to tell you, I want to use it. I want to redeem it. I want to recycle it. I want to upcycle it. Like whatever you did. See, and there's this myth in church. It's called the professionalization of ministry. We think that, oh, I can't. I, they don't need me. The church is really big. I don't have like a seminary degree. I haven't memorized any Bible verses. Boo-boo, can you shut up? If Rahab, <laughs> if Rahab can hide some men's. Because I bet God is like, yeah, these other Israelite women, they just too bougie. Like, they, they are just too holy. They're going to feel bad about lying. Ah, Rahab, come here. <laughs> Look, Rahab, I need you to hide these men in your house, and I need you to lie. And Rahab is like, I can do that. <laughs> God, I got you. That ain't a thing, God. I got you. Let's think about how perfectly positioned Rahab is. To play her role. Can I tell you something? Church is not built on the gifts of a few. It's built on the sacrifice of many. And if you're in this room, we don't need you to just be a consumer. We need you to be a contributor. 
but I'm not really good at anything. No, 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 start talking long enough, and we'll tell you what you're good at, baby, because as long as you've been living and breathing and sucking in air, there's something that God has used the world system to teach you that we can use here to build God's kingdom. I need you to get this. God used the most pagan society on the planet Earth. The Egyptians had more gods than Buddhists right now and allowed Pharaoh and his secular system to train Moses on how to read and write so that we could get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Don't tell me that God won't use the world system to build his church. Are you joking? Well, I'm just a real estate agent. Okay, come on. Can you find some property for the kingdom? Like, what, what, what do you bring? We need you. We need you. We need you. And no one else can play your part. Can't nobody hide men's and lie about it like you, boo-boo. We need you. Now, let's think about Rahab a little bit more. Can we go a little deeper on Rahab? Very interesting character in the Bible. No one ever preaches on Rahab. This girl, she bad. Because Rahab has to come to the understanding that she's about to lose everything she's ever known. All her friends that she went to high school with. All the other men that she's ever hid and lied about, you know what I'm saying? They all about to die. It says she's the only one that survives, her and her family, that's it. Her house is about to get destroyed when the walls of Jericho come crashing down. All her family photo albums, everything, all the paintings she's got hanging on the wall, she's about to lose everything. And you want to know what it's going to take for you to really follow Jesus? For you to get to a place where you have to choose between everything you like and everything you love and everything that God has for you. That's the crossroad that everyone's going to be at in this church, in this room. I was at that crossroad on my way to Colorado. I didn't tell the story to Andrew or Connor because I wanted you to hear it live on stage. (laughs) On my way to Colorado, I get to the airport. I thought I'd gotten to the airport in ample time to check the bag get on my flight, and have a happy day. Got to the airport mad early in the morning, like butt crack at dawn early, like super early. God wasn't even awake. <laughs> I get to the airport, and uh, I'm waiting in line, but I guess the day before, there was a computer crash for American Airlines, and there was a, there was a long line of people trying to check bags. And so, you know, it's 5.30 a.m. when I get to the airport, but I've got a 7 o'clock a.m. flight, and you got to check a bag, what? Come on, 60 minutes before your flight. So it's 5.30, and then it's 5.45, and then it's 5.50, and then it's 6. And I'm going, there's still like 30 people ahead of me. Like, this is bad. And I'm in the priority line. I'm just like, this is terrible. The guy behind me, he's got golf clubs. He's on my same 7 o'clock flight. The woman next to me, she's got a bunch of bags. She's on my same 7 o'clock flight. They're both white, okay? So at this point, I'm like, y'all are going to complain. I can't be the angry black man at the airport. I was like, hey, bro, you, you want to go in front of me? Like, tell them we need to get on the flight. Like, you cause a scene. I can't, I can't be seen making a ruckus. Like, I need you. Can you step in? Can you do this? And the guy's like, I got it. I was like, you got it. <laughs> you got it, Spencer. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> so he's like, he's, he's turning red. He's like, we're going to tell them. We're going to tell them we've been here for 45 minutes. I was like, yes, yes, we're going to tell, you're going to, you're going to tell them. You are going to tell them. I'm going to stand here, you know, just nod my head. I got you, though. I got you. We get up to the counter. The woman lets us know. Well, lets him know. Let's us know. You cannot check your bag. 
And then the woman starts explaining how she's got to put us on a different flight. But that different flight was going to mean that I would miss my assignment in Colorado. That different flight was going to mean that I wouldn't be able to preach. That different flight was going to mean a sacrifice that I wasn't willing to make. So I did what any normal person would do. I grabbed my big old huge suitcase with a bunch of stuff in it. I walked to the bathroom, pretended to use the bathroom, and conveniently left the suitcase in the bathroom. <laughs> walked out of the bathroom, walked through the airport, walked through security, got to my gate, and got on my flight. And when I arrived in Colorado, someone else had to buy me underwear because <laughs> I got here with nothing. And you see how most of pe the people in the room are like, oh? Because that concept seems crazy to you. And that's unfortunate because that's discipleship. Discipleship says there's nothing in this bag that's more valuable than me fulfilling the assignment on my life. Why would I miss a flight for some baggage? And you want to know what Rahab decided? This house is not worth me missing the window of opportunity. These friends are not worth me missing the window of opportunity. There's nothing that's better than me stepping in to a relationship with God that I have never had. But guess what? Although salvation is free, it will cost you everything. It will cost you your friendships. It will cost you that ex that keeps asking for nudes. Hello. Yeah, toes. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Because the point is not to make it to heaven. It's not the point. The point is to bring heaven to earth. That's the point. So hip, hip, hooray. You've made it to heaven. The real question is, are you bringing heaven to Denver? Yes or no? Because you can't be a thought and bring heaven to Denver. You can be a thought and make it to heaven. Oh, thought means that hoe over there. You looked confused. <laughs> Figured I'd explain. And by thought, I don't just mean women. There's man thoughts too. Hello. Hello. There's a lot of them. Not here. Not at this church. But back in North Carolina, in my church, we definitely got some man thoughts who be getting hid from women and women be lying about it anyway. Listen. There was nothing in the suitcase that was bad or wrong or sinful. I wasn't trying to smuggle drugs into Colorado. <laughs> there, it was just textbooks and dope sneakers. <laughs> yeah. But listen, I counted the cost. There was nothing in the bag. See, 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 and I remember getting to this point where I was like, am I really about to leave this bag in this bathroom? Am I really about to do this? I'm really about to do this. I really love Andrew. Like, I really do. I remember thinking to myself, if I think too hard about all the things and what they cost, I'll never sacrifice the bag. That was, that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to think about all the stuff in the bag. No, but think about all the memories you guys had. No, don't throw away what they got you for Valentine's Day. No. And the reason that a lot of us still have soul ties to people we dated two years ago is because you still got their jacket. You still got their hoodie. Uh-oh. <laughs> you haven't deleted all the pictures from your phone? 
What good is it if you deleted the pictures from Instagram? Because that's what everybody does when they go through a breakup. The next day, there's no pictures of the, the two of you on Instagram. No, no, just, just in North Carolina, not here? Okay. <laughs> See, it's easy to delete them off Instagram. Hard to delete them from your phone. And then to go into the recently deleted file and delete them again. <laughs> See? Because you have to get to a point as a disciple where nothing has a hold on you. This picture doesn't have a hold on me. The stuff in the bag doesn't have to be evil or wrong or sinful. But if it has a hold on me, now I've made a good thing into an idol. And Rahab makes a decision. I see my window of opportunity. I'm going to lose my home, but I see my window. I'm going to lose my friends, but I see my window. I'm going to lose everything that's familiar, but I see my window. And my invitation to you tonight is if you see your window, don't let the wall of idolatry keep you out of the window that God has for you. Do you see your window? Or are you attached? Because for some of us, your biggest wall is you. <laughs> biggest wall is you okay here we go we got nine minutes and 30 seconds can we talk about joshua right because there's two sides of this equation right rahab is a canaanite who the, the, her country and her nation and her people are being invaded she sees a window of opportunity to join up with the people of god but there's another side of this equation there's a man named joshua who's literally leading an army of people around the walls of jericho and I love this because Joshua, uh-oh, this is going to step on, I'm about to step on some toes. Joshua, uh-oh. <laughs> it's not Joshua's first time at this window of opportunity. If you know a little bit of Bible, you know that 40 years before the moment in question, Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies got sent out from who? From Moses to spy out the land. That's an awkward journey home, right? Like Joshua and Caleb, they've got faith. They're about to tell everybody, it's good. They're giants, but we can beat them. It's awesome. The 10 other spies are like, no, this is bad. We're grasshoppers. We suck. Like we should just retreat. And 10 people spread a report throughout millions of people that discouraged them from taking up the land. And so God says this, those people are going to die, and the next generation is going to go in. Can you imagine being like the last person from that generation? Everyone 40 and below is just looking at you. Like, when are you going to die, Jerry? <laughs> Jerry's the last one, man. Soon as Jerry dies, we get to go into Canaan, you know? It's like we've just been wandering out of here, just wandering around for 40 years. Go ahead, kick the can, Jerry. <laughs> you know, you got two teeth left, Jerry. Just, just go ahead, pack it up, man. Just, 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 go just go for a walk in that direction, Jerry, you know? It's just very awkward, but very true. Once the last person dies, God then allows the next generation to go in. Who's leading them? Joshua's leading them. So now Joshua's on the precipice of Canaan again. Forty years have gone by, and the window of opportunity opens again because, listen to this, the opportunity of a lifetime is only open for the lifetime of that opportunity. Windows open, windows close. A lot of us are bitter today because your parents missed the window. There's only one window to take you to the prom. Once that window's closed, that window's closed. And your parent may be different now. They may be the best parent now. But guess what? There's some windows that they missed. 
windows open, windows closed, windows open, windows closed. And so the window was open 40 years ago. Now the window is open what? Again. This is why when we do an altar call, it's important for you to respond. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel awkward or I don't know. No, no, no. There's a window. The window's open. When we did worship, we had window. There's a window to raise your hands and to give God glory and honor and praise for what he's done today. Tomorrow is not the time to praise him for what he did today. No, every day there's new mercies. That means we worship today. We take advantage of the window of opportunity we have today. Today. So Joshua's at this window. Now get this. Joshua didn't enter Canaan 40 years ago. Not because he didn't have faith, but because he was attached to people who lacked faith. I need us to get this. See, this is why the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. But you know how we subconsciously mishandle that verse? We think that that verse means, don't be yoked together with non-Christians. The Bible doesn't say don't be yoked together with non-Christians. It says don't be yoked together with what? Unbelievers. You know what's unfortunate? I've met a lot of non-Christians who are believers. And a bunch of Christians who are unbelievers. Can I help you with your faith tonight? What good is it if you're a Christian, but you don't believe that God can oversee, to supersede what the doctor said? What good is it if you're a Christian, but you don't believe that God can supersede what the loan officer said? What good is it if you're a Christian, but you don't believe in the miraculous power of God? The question tonight is, are you a believer? I get it. You're a Christian. But do you believe that God has a spouse for you in mind or not? Because that is going to dictate how you date. Do you believe or not? See, I remember interacting with this non-Christian one time. I was on a flight. I struggled with flight anxiety for like a really long time. And then one time I was on a flight and the guy, he asked me what I did for a living. I told him I was a pastor. He let me know fast. Do not preach to me. I'm not interested. He was like, I am an uncircumcised Philistine. I was like, I understand. <laughs> I will not talk to you about the Jesus man. I will not. I, you know. And then turbulence hit. But he's not a Christian. I'm a Christian. Turbulence hits. And he starts seeing, I'm fidgeting. And I'm just kind of like moving around all weird. And I'm tense. And I'm uncomfortable. And this uncircumcised Philistine, <laughs> this non-Christian human being, looked at me. And said, aren't you a pastor? <laughs> and what he observed in that moment is this. Not even a Christian. He realized that he's a non-Christian who believes that God can keep a plane in the sky. If the plane goes down, I'm going to heaven, baby. I should have been like, you're the one that should be nervous. <laughs> Not me. But you know the problem? I was a Christian in that moment who lacked belief. Why allow non-Christians to have more faith in a stock market than you have in God? Really? We got non-Christians who can take down GameStop, but you can't tithe? <laughs> it's only 10%, you know. You know that, right? Anyway. The Bible says don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, one time I was preaching this message or I was talking about being yoked together with unbelievers and a girl came up to me after the sermon and she was like, Pastor Manny, what do eggs got to do with relationships? And I was like, dang it, I failed you. My bad. <laughs> I got to talk about what a yoke actually is, okay? This is Y-O-K-E, not Y-O-L-K. It's a yoke. 
It's a farm tool that you would put around the neck of two oxen. And the reason that the oxen had to be equally strong is because the farmer's trying to get straight rows. Everybody say straight rows. But if you've got a strong ox and a weak ox, then the strong ox starts pulling the weak ox in circles. And so Joshua's just wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. Not because he lacked faith, but because he was yoked with unbelievers. Just wandering around. Just wandering around. No purpose. What are we doing today, Joshua? Same thing we did yesterday. Just pick up the tent, go to the next spot. We've been here already. Yeah, I know. Waiting for Gary to die. Just wandering around. Just wandering around. Let me teach you. This is why Jesus says this. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, come on. I won't put anything on you that's heavy laden, that's ill-fitting. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm the strong ox. If you yoke yourself to me, even when you are yoked, even when you are stuck in depression, I'll pull you into joy. Even when you are stuck in anxiety, guess what Jesus does? I'll pull you into peace. But Jesus, I'm stuck in sexual sin, and Jesus goes, but I'll wash you clean. I'll put my name on you. If you follow me, I'll give you new habits. I'll put you in new relationship. I'll pull you. So the question is this, who are you going to yoke yourself to? You can't be yoked to your ex who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't have faith and be yoked to Jesus because they are going to split you in half. Hello. One's going to pull you in one direction, and Jesus is going to try to pull you in a different direction, and you're going to have to make the decision. I'm unhitching myself from this suitcase, from the world, from the things that are holding me back, from relationships that are toxic, and I am attaching myself to everything that God is and everything that God has and the people of God and the language of God and the culture of God and the bride of Christ and I'm yoking myself to this because I'm not strong enough in my own power to rescue myself or to save myself and I've been yoked to toxicity for way too long. It's time for me to attach myself to something that can pull me into a destiny that I've never had. So Joshua Get this, 40 years go by, and Joshua makes this decision. Woo! Instead of sending in 12 spies, he sends in two. Because if the wandering doesn't make you wise, then the wandering was a waste. The wandering isn't a waste if it made you wise. See, this is the trick of the enemy. The trick of the enemy is to fill you with regret instead of repentance. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I feel the Holy Spirit in the room. The lie of the enemy is to give you counterfeit repentance. That's called regret. Can I teach you? God does not need your apology. He does not need you to say sorry to him. He is not offended. We got a lot of people who keep apologizing to God and they're filled with regret, but they never repent. Repent. Change your mind. Change your habits. Change the direction of your life. 
God doesn't need your apology, boo-boo. Keep your sorry. Say sorry with your actions. Repentance. You want to know what regret is? The Bible calls it worldly sorrow. It makes you feel bad, but it doesn't lead to anything. It makes you cry in a young adult service on a Thursday night because you feel bad that you hooked up with your ex, but you'll keep doing it. See, regret, not repentance. Jesus has an invitation. Say, hey, the enemy will keep filling you with regret and filling you with regret and filling you with regret. And regret comes from hell because the enemy knows as long as you've got regret, he'll keep you in a cycle of doing the same thing and feeling bad about it, doing the same thing and feeling bad about it, doing the same thing and feeling bad about it. But the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God is available to you. And Jesus goes, you're not strong? Hold my arm. I'm strong. I'm pulling you out of this. You're weak? That's fine. I will be unequally yoked to you. So I love this. Joshua and the gang, they're circling around Jericho, circling around Jericho, circling around Jericho. And every time they walk around Jericho, the spies there were Rahab's house. They go, guys, you see that window? You see that window? The window that the Bible says has a crimson cord that represents the blood of Jesus. The window that Jesus has already marked for you and for me to inherit the life that he has for us. Here's the question. Are you going to see the wall? The price that it's going to pay? The price that it's going to take? The nose? Or are you going to say, there's a window in this wall. There's a window in this wall. And God wouldn't tease me by letting me see what's on the other side of Canaan and also keep a wall in my way to keep me out of what he's already shown me. Can I tell you something? It's structurally impossible to have a window without a wall. Woo! It is structurally impossible to have a window without a wall. If you're ever somewhere and you see a floating window run, that's voodoo, just run. And a lot of us, guess what? We've been asking God, why would you allow the enemy to attack me with this? Why would you allow the enemy to attack me with this? And God goes, because I always let the devil do my dirty work for me. I let the devil build that wall so that I can come through and put a window in that wall. There's a window in the wall. Can you see it tonight? There's a window of opportunity that God has for you. There's a window of opportunity. I don't think they praised God. A lot of times we preach this message, it's almost like they shot it at the walls. I don't think they shot it at the walls. That's not why the walls came down. Do you want to know why they shot it? They shot it because they got a glimpse of what was on the other side of the wall. See, I remember we went through a miscarriage, the darkest season of my life. I mean, depressed, I mean, sad. I remember going into the room where we had bought a crib. We had set up all these onesies. And I began to close my physical eyes because all my physical eyes could see was pain and all my physical eyes could see was failure and all my physical eyes could see is disappointment. And I began to get in that room. I went on a 40-day fast. 
I went on a 40-day fast, didn't eat anything for 40 days, and I got in that room, and I said, God, somewhere in these 40 days, you're going to have to open up a window that I can see, because if I don't see a window, then I can't try IVF again. If I don't see a window, it's not worth risking another miscarriage. I need you to show me in the eyes of my faith that there's a window on the other side of this wall. Can I preach to you? Can God open up a window right now? Can you begin to praise him in advance for the window that you see? I know you're stuck in anxiety, but can you praise him for your peace that's on the other side of this wall? I know that you're stuck in the middle of a breakup, but can you praise him for the healing that's on the other side of the window, of the, on the other side of the wall? That's you tonight. You know, Pastor Manny, Woo! I have a suitcase that I refuse to leave. And I keep getting to this fork in the road where a window of opportunity opens up to be discipled. A window of opportunity opens up for, to start serving in church. But I keep choosing everything in this suitcase instead of choosing what's on the other side of this obstacle. If that's you, and you know I'm preaching to you, you just raise your hand right where you are. Raise your, I see your hand. Oh, come on. Hands going up everywhere. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Like Rahab, you've got stuff that just has a hold on you. Just got a hold on you. It's like tentacles. It's just stuff, earthly stuff of the world. And you just care way too much about it. That's my first group. Second group. Like Joshua, you've seen windows open and close. And because of relationships, because of people you were attached to, you allowed doubt into your life by being yoked together with somebody who was full of doubt. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's just an uncle whose church hurt. And every time they talk about their church hurt, it makes you not want to really open up to your leaders at church. And a relationship with somebody that you were attached to has kept you from experiencing the window in your wall. If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. Raise your hand right where you are. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I'm going to pray for you in a second, but I want you to make one practical step. If you raise your hand, I need you to text the word great faith to 97000. Look at the screen. This instructions on the screen. I want to give you a devotional plan, a five-day devotional plan. It is free of charge. I wrote this devotional plan so that people wouldn't just get excited in church, but actually have a tool that they can use tomorrow. Text the word great faith, no space in between great or faith, to 97000. You'll get a devotional plan sent straight to your phone. Here we go. I need to know this. Who can start that devotional plan tomorrow? Commit that to me. I see your hand. Who can start that devotional plan tomorrow? I see your hand. I see your hand. I'm proud of you. I see your hand. Hey, look, five days. Five days. We planted a seed of faith tonight. Can you make a commitment to me? Can we water that seed tomorrow? Can we water that seed the next day? 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 I did the work. I studied. I preached the word to you tonight. But that word is a seed. How you handle that seed. Can you be responsible? Come on. We all remember being in second grade. Teacher giving us a seed, putting it in dirt, sending us home with us. I need you to give that seed some life and some water. Five-day devotional plan. All right, here we go. First altar call. Meet me at this altar. If you raised your hand, I want to pray for you. 
you've got a suitcase, you know what that suitcase represents for you. You are attached to something. Can't let it go. But tonight, listen, by faith, you know that there's a window of opportunity for you. Stand up right where you are. Meet me at this altar. I want to pray. I'm vaccinated. I can touch you. Come on. Meet me at this altar. Meet me at this altar. The rest of us, can we raise up on our feet? Can we stand up? We're going to go into a time of worship. God, I thank you for every single young adult at this altar. God, right now, I ask that you would take tastes out of their mouth. God, besetting sins, things that are keeping them from experiencing the full and abundant life that you have for them. God, as I lay my hands on them and as I pray for them, God, we declare that they don't belong to sin or the enemy or idolatry, but they are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We serve notice on the enemy that would try to confuse them and lead them into temptation. God, we declare right now freedom over their life, freedom over their life, freedom over their life. They're not attached to any worldly possession or any worldly thing. We break the backbone of idolatry off of their life right now in the matchless name of Jesus. Can you lift up your hands all over this place? God, we need you to do what no guest speaker can do. God, we need you to break every chain in the room chains that are linking us to our past chains that are linking us to unforgiveness and bitterness God we are getting rid of baggage tonight we're saying tonight that no form of baggage is going to keep us out of our promise we declare windows of opportunity open oh come on let's worship together all around this church 